0: Good morning. Good morning. I'm Mary Halst. I serve as the university pastor at Calvin University here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I'm a member of this church. This is the third in three weeks that I've been preaching and preaching on Romans 8. Romans, as you may know, is a letter from the Apostle Paul, and scholars believe that it was actually a letter that circulated among the house churches of Rome. Some of these churches were primarily Jewish, some of them were primarily Gentile or Roman, some of them were a mix. And so Paul is weaving in references to both of these cultures as he writes this letter and tells them essentially to just get along. In Romans 8, we're going to be looking today at the very last part of the text, verse 31 through 39. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm guessing some of you know this refrain, God is good all the time, time. but is he really? Because if we're honest, it doesn't always feel like that, does it? It doesn't always feel like God is good. It can feel like he's been good to other people. That other people are experiencing the love of God, but our experience has been a little thin. Some of us know what it's like to lie in bed with tears, wondering, does God really love me? Some of us know what it's like to be waiting for that test result and praying that it's not cancer. Some of us struggle to give up an addiction like gambling, but the apps make it so easy and it seems God isn't helping us at all. For some of us, depression holds us in its grip and makes us doubt that anybody loves us, including God. Sometimes we feel attacked. We wonder what God is doing. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He assumes that we're going to need to be delivered. He assumes the evil one is going to be attacking us. The Heidelberg Catechism explains this phrase in the Lord's Prayer by saying this. It means in ourselves we are so weak we cannot hold our own even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. One way in which the devil attacks us is through the sorrows of this world. The pain and the burdens of this world can make us doubt the love of God. The list that Paul has here in Romans 8, hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Through the years, the enemy has used all of these things to try to separate God's people from trust in the God who loves them. It's hard to believe that God loves you when life is hard. And Paul understood this. And the people he was writing to understood this. The Christians who had grown up worshiping Roman gods figured that there was this system and if you worship the gods well, if you paid the priests and you offered your sacrifices and you regularly went to festival, your life should be pretty good. And if you were struggling in any kind of way, if life was hard or challenging, well then you just had to dial it up. You had to offer a few more sacrifices. You had to work harder to try to get the gods' approval, get the gods' favor, That's the system they grew up with. Well, now they're following Jesus. They're praising him, and they're doing their best to please him, and they're finding that life is harder than it was before. They're finding that because of their new faith in Jesus Christ, their families and friends are rejecting them. They're getting cut out of business deals. When they walk up to others in the market, people walk away. They're like, what's up? I thought following Jesus was going to make my life better, not worse. So Paul says, look, your present sufferings, the struggles you are facing, these are not judgments from God. That's not the way this works. Your losses are not a measure of how little or how much God loves you. The struggles don't mean God is upset with you. The struggles are just comes with life in a sinful world. He says to the Romans, you don't need to work to get on God's good side. You don't need to offer more sacrifices or different sacrifices to please Him. In this religion, he tells them, God makes the sacrifice. In this religion, God makes the first move. God comes toward you. You don't have to earn God's favor. God just gives it. For Romans who had grown up in this context where they had to work to please God, small g, this was mind-blowing. You mean the true God worked for them? Amazing. And for the Jewish Christians who are receiving this letter, Paul weaves certain things here into Romans 8 that would stick with them. All the Jews would know the story about how Abraham was directed to sacrifice his son Isaac. And they held this story up as a model of Jewish devotion. If you were a devoted Jew, you could be as devoted as Abraham who was willing even to sacrifice his son. They held that up. Look at how faithful he was. Well, here in verse 32 of Romans 8, Paul flips this old story from a sign of Jewish faithfulness to God to God's faithfulness to the Jews through Jesus Christ. He uses the same phrasing. He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him give us anything else? And then in verse 36, he quotes a psalm, which all of the Jews would have known by heart. They would have sung it since they were kids. For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Now that's from Psalm 44, and Psalm 44 is a psalm in which God's people cry out to him like, "Um, we've been doing everything right, and our lives are miserable, so what's up with that? That's a paraphrase. Here's what it actually says. (laughs) All this has come upon us, yet we have not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you have broken us in the haunt of jackals. And covered us with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a strange God, would you not know? For you know the secrets of the heart. Because of you, we're being killed all day long, we're accounted as sleep sheep to be slaughtered. Psalm 44 is an old version of a timeless problem. We have been faithful, and life is still hard. Why keep being faithful? It's a great question. It's an important question. Why keep being faithful? In The Screwtape Letters, which is a book written by C.S. Lewis, he addresses this. The Screwtape Letters is a collection of fictional letters between one demon named Screwtape and his nephew named Wormwood. And Screwtape is trying to coach Wormwood on how to get the human he's working with to turn away from God. And in letter 13, he says, the ups and downs of a human's life, the good and the bad, just happen. But he says to his nephew, you've got to be aware of the down places, you've got to be aware of the troughs, because that's the most dangerous place for our work. Here's the quote. It may surprise you to learn that in his, God's, efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relies on the troughs even more than the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will looks round on a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished, asks why he has been forsaken, and still obeys. That's what Paul means here in Romans 8. When he says that in all of these things, in all of these challenges, we are more than conquerors. When we stick with it, when we keep coming to church, When we keep volunteering, when we keep praying, even though we're not sure anyone is listening. When we look on a universe from which it seems every trace of God has vanished. When we ask why we have been forsaken and we still obey. We are conquerors because then we are beating the devil at his own game. The devil can throw anything at us, life, death, angels, demons, principalities, powers, things in present, things to come, height, depth, anything else in all creation, and it will not separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's because it's not about us. It's not about how we feel. It's not about what we do. The love of God is about God. God. It's about God's persistence and God's tenacity and God saying, I will never let you go. He who did not withhold his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us everything else? Who's going to bring a charge against the chosen one of God like the devil is? The world? Your own flesh? No. That's not the way it works. They all lose There is no other power than God's that directs our final destiny. Nothing that happens to us in this world can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why we can say God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. Not because we experience God as being good in our own particular lives in this moment, but because the goodness of God is simply part of who he is It's like I have green eyes all the time, all the time, I have green eyes. You may experience them as blue, you may see them and wonder if they're brown, no, they're green. It's the same thing with God, his goodness is part of who he is. And in Romans, we're told that someday we will be with him and we will see this in all of its fullness, that nothing will separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Someday, we will live in the space where we experience God as good all the time. This is the vision we're given in Revelation 7. After this, I looked, John says, and there was a great multitude, no one can count, from every nation, from every tongue, tribe, and languages, gathered before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands, They cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these robed in white and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. He said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. The great ordeal. Watching the spouse die of cancer, getting that phone call, dealing with years of PTSD as a result of war or abuse or suffering, just trying to live faithfully in a sin-filled world. These are they who have come out of the great ordeal, says the elder. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they worship him day and night in his temple, and the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger and thirst no more. They will have cancer treatments no more. There will be no more Parkinson's or depression or chronic fatigue or miscarriages. No more climate change. The sun will not strike them by day, nor the moon by night. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. God is good. All the time. Blessed be his holy name. Amen. Thank you, God, for this truth, this deep, deep truth that is real and active and living, whether or not we feel it in the moment. Thank you that our feelings do not determine our faith. What we do does not determine how much you love us. We thank you that in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven And there is no longer any barrier between your love and us. Help us to live like people who are beloved and precious. And help us to love and value others. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, and all God's people say, Amen.